Tested is sponsored by Duke Health, home of the Pandemic Response Network, helping communities stay safe and connected during the COVID-19 pandemic by partnering with local schools, businesses, and faith-based organizations to launch COVID-19 symptom support programs in their own communities. Learn more at pandemicresponsenetwork.org. We're also supported by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and kitchen staples to your door starting at $15. Every delivery fights food waste and supports local hunger-solving organizations. HungryHarvest.net I'm Leonida Inge. This is Tested from WUNC, a look at what the day's challenges tell us about where we are, what we believe, and who we want to be in North Carolina and the South. Today, uneven battlefield. Research shows our U.S. military isn't as large as it used to be but it is definitely more diverse. More than 40% of the men and women in the military are people of color. But as you march up the ranks, there are fewer and fewer brown and black faces. In this time of racial reckoning, that's not good enough. In the lead up to his inauguration, President Joe Biden had to acknowledge that. In his decision to nominate a Secretary of Defense who just made history. Through sheer determination and extraordinary skill, he's been breaking down barriers and blazing a trail forward in this nation for many years now, for more than 40 years. And he has a long way to go, and he's going to do it again. And so today, I'm honored to nominate former General Lloyd Austin as the 28th Secretary of Defense. Biden's choice is a retired four-star Army general. Lloyd Austin, who was confirmed by the Senate today, is also black. You know, back in 1877, a young man from the small town of Thomasville, Georgia, Henry Ossian Flipper, became the first African-American to graduate from the United States Military Academy at West Point. And after his commissioning, he was assigned to one of the Army's all-black regiments and he became the first non-white officer to lead the Buffalo Soldiers of the 10th Cavalry. And so fast forward to today, nearly 150 years later, another native son of Thomasville, Georgia, stands before you as the Secretary of Defense designate. Defense secretaries don't always become household names, so this may not seem like a big deal to some folks, but it is. General Austin is the first black leader of the Pentagon, second only to the president in military command, breaking the ultimate glass ceiling. A true and tested soldier. Representation can be inspiring. You can't be it if you don't see it. But is Austin's presence in a new administration enough to inspire young officers of color to follow his lead? The decision to enter America's armed services as a black or brown person 
must be met with truth about a culture that has valued white lives over others throughout its history as an institution. David Christinger spends much of his time studying incidents of white nationalism and white supremacy in the military. He is director of the Harris Writing Program at the University of Chicago. He also teaches memoir writing to veterans with the War Horse, an award-winning military reporting initiative based in North Carolina. One of his recent pieces references a 2020 Military Times poll which reported that 36% of active duty troops and more than half of minority service members reported witnessing examples of white nationalism. That was an increase from a couple of years earlier. I, I couldn't believe, honestly, uh, 36% of respondents said that they had seen some you know, evidence of white nationalism. That seemed like a really, really high number. Um, and so I started looking into it and I found plenty of examples where the Department of Defense, the president, um, senior military leaders were saying, nope, this isn't a problem. Um, these are all isolated incidents. Uh, you know, I kept thinking of that, that old um, uh, saying about, you know, one rotten apple. It, mm -hmm. These are just one rotten. And it's like, the, we always forget that the end of that saying is they ruin the bunch, right? That, that one bad apple. Um, so I started digging into it and trying to find, you know, was there any place uh, to, to get a better sense of how prevalent this was. And what I ended up doing was just putting together this massive timeline of media reports, government reports, uh, congressional testimonies, anything that could speak to the prevalence of white nationalism in the military. And uh, I think there's a lot more that, that I wasn't able to find. Christinger says a few trends emerged. Yeah, a few things kind of jumped out to me. One was it, it seemed that the incidents that were being reported or, or that, that I could find in my search fell into one of two camps. One was what I call the sort of respectable white nationalism, right? It was th this idea of, of um, you know, white rights, white power, uh, but not as a racist idea, right? That's, that's how it's presented. It's, it's uh, an original Confederate flag in your room. It, exactly, yeah. right? It's this idea that the races will do better and actually some, some of the gentlemen that I, that I investigated, um, some of them actually thought that Joe Biden had a great idea back during the, uh, the invasion of Iraq to, to separate Iraq into three different countries that was floated for a certain amount of time. And you know, some that were on the ground in Iraq said, yeah, that's a good idea. If the Shia and the Sunni can't get along, separate them. And that thinking kind of translated into some of these um, some of these online groups, you know, is, is sort of uh, centered around white identity. And then the other group are the, you know, overtly violent um, incidents where, um, you know, trying to, to steal weapons, planning attacks, um, you know, being caught by undercover FBI agents, plotting things. Um, so this is not just a rhetorical issue. There's lots of violence that's being stopped and violence that's still being perpetrated. Um, most of the reports that I saw were, were coming out of the Marine Corps. That could just be that the Marine Corps is reporting on it and they're trying to show that they're taking it seriously. But it's, it's impossible to tell unless we uh, get access to the data for which uh, troops are separated or punished in some way because of white nationalist uh, ideology. And that's just a number we don't have. 
At this week's confirmation hearings, General Lloyd Austin spoke about this problem before the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he made a promise. We also owe our people a working environment free of discrimination, hate, and harassment. And if confirmed, I will fight hard to stamp out sexual assault and to rid our ranks of racists and extremists and to create a climate where everyone fit and willing has the opportunity to serve this country with dignity. The job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. Which makes me wonder, if the military has means to stop discrimination and harassment, why hasn't it done so before? Well, one thing that I, that I think is makes this a really difficult problem to address is that being a racist or, or believing racist things is not against the law, right? There's no uh, mechanism that the military can sort of implement right away. Um, the, the two areas that they, that they can use to punish service members, they have to do with belonging to extremist organizations or recruiting for extremist organizations. And sometimes there's definitional battles of like, who's a member and who's, an, who's not a member. You know, the, the nature of these organizations has changed over time um, or that, that it somehow disrupts order in their unit. Um, and it's really at the discretion of the commander. And so if the commander doesn't think that the behavior uh, warrants further investigation or punishment, then there's no record of it whatsoever. Um, and so it's it's hard to tell, you know, of those 36% of the troops who saw white nationalism, were, were these, you know, people being racist? Were these people threatening violence? Were these people recruiting for organizations? We don't, it, we don't have that granular level data. Um, but I can imagine that it's, it's a pretty miserable place to be if you're constantly seeing people around you, um, you know, making it clear that they don't value you as an equal member of the team. David Christinger says he's optimistic about the influence of General Lloyd Austin, President Joe Biden's pick for Secretary of Defense. I think some of the trends that we saw during the Trump administration, whether it, it was, you know, downplaying these incidents or removing funding from organizations whose mission is to reduce white nationalism or to, to rehabilitate neo-Nazis, you know, that those sorts of things I would love to see reversed. I haven't seen Biden put anything out on how he's specifically going to address this, but I feel hopeful. But this, this is a difficult problem, and I, I don't know that there's one solution that's going to solve it. It's, it's going to take a, a whole culture change. And, and hopefully our new you know, Secretary of Defense can help with that. David Christinger is director of the Harris Writing Program at the University of Chicago. He also teaches memoir writing to veterans with The War Horse, a reporting initiative based in North Carolina. More in a moment. Before we move on in the show, I have a question for you. Are you ready to co-create the world we want to live in? Then I recommend you join the community listening to Our Body Politic, a political podcast that's by and for women of color, with everyone welcome to join the feast. The show offers a new view of the news, making politics personal with host Faraya Chidea, 
a veteran black woman journalist who has reported all over the U.S. from Standing Rock to Air Force One and covered every presidential election from 1996. Each week with her passion and decades of experience, Farai gets real with women you need to hear from, like Senator Tammy Duckworth, Representative Rashida Tlaib, journalist Amna Nuwaz, author N.K. Jemison, and more. So if you want your political news to lift you up and be useful in your daily life, check out Our Body Politic. Subscribe to Our Body Politic wherever you listen to podcasts. West Point is a military academy famously known for producing leaders. General Lloyd Austin graduated West Point, so did Mary Tobin. Tobin is vice president of the West Point Women's Alumni Association and co-founder of the West Point African American Alumni Association. So she spends a lot of time mentoring young black officers, remembering her days in their boots. You know, I often say that West Point is the most beautiful place in the world for graduates, like out of our rear view mirror, like once we're leaving, um, because and not because, you know, it's inherently more difficult for black folk there, but because it's just hard. It is the premier leadership institution in the world. I think, though, the culture at West Point, although shaped in and steeped in excellence and, and military discipline and professionalism, the larger culture is that of white, cisgender, heterosexual, Protestant men, period. Everything from what's acceptable to where, how you speak, how you behave, your hobbies, it is shaped and forged in that of white culture. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it is. So if you are not a white, cisgender, heterosexual, Protestant male, then you instantly are aware that maybe your background, the way you dress, speak, talk, look, is in opposition to the dominant culture. I think that the Academy has done a fantastic job of its outreach and getting more and more African-American cadets into admitted into the culture or into the Academy, but there are still challenges around the retention. You know, what do I do when I don't see staff and faculty who look like me? What do I do when no one else shares my cultural norms or because I listen to a certain type of music now that's deemed anti to the culture. So there's this constant assimilation and conforming to the dominant culture in order to succeed. And I think those of us who do graduate, um, we graduate because of sheer grit, resilience, and strength, but it's also because we conformed in, in many, many ways. This is common among Black officers, according to Tobin. You know what? I often joke, there was this shift in high school where I went from like P. Diddy and Biggie Smalls on my wall to like General Colin Powell. (laughs) Like there was this shift there. Um, I think mainly because I feel like the military in a lot of ways represents the closest thing to a meritocracy um, Mm. in our country. It's like, I know exactly what I need to do to succeed, right? As much as possible. I know how to go from a private to being a general. So in a lot of ways, I set my initial goal. I will be the first black woman chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, period. That was what my goal was. I think once I got into the pipeline, you know, at West Point, and even after I graduated from the army and went into war um, in Iraq, 
you know, I discovered something about myself and I've said this to my mentees. I feel like for a lot of my white brothers and sisters in arms, they serve this country because of what they believe this country to be. And for a lot of black folks, we serve this country because of what we hope it can become. And so I think a lot of my motivation then became, okay, even when I'm getting smacked in the face because I'm a woman in an all male unit, or even when there are off color jokes being made about black folks and eating watermelon and the type of music we listen to, we listen to um, Mary, suck it up, let it roll off your shoulders because every step of the way that you succeed, you can bring somebody behind you. So there's kind of this mentality where you go, you know what? Just like Colin Powell, Henry Ossian Flipper, the first African-American graduate of West Point paved that pathway for me. I'm gonna pave the pathway for someone else. But I think post-military, what I realized is, you know what, there's a better way. Like we don't just have to survive. Racism can be eliminated from the ranks. Things can get better. There can be more black officers at the top ranks. That's, it's possible, but leaders have to have the will and the courage to do so. So now I think even as I mentor younger black officers who literally, as the young folks would say, have no chill, they speak out on issues of social justice. And I'm like, wait, 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 don't do it. But at the end of the day, they are literally upholding the values and the principles that we teach them. Like choose the harder right over the easier wrong. Speak out when you see something that's, that's not right, right? And so I think I've, I've even transitioned how I mentor because I have the courage now, right, to really forge a pathway for officers behind me. What Tobin said, choose the harder right over the easier wrong, that comes from the cadet prayer at West Point. She tells me she believes General Austin's place at the helm of the Defense Department will inspire and boost morale in the ranks. Absolutely. One, I think uh, because he is a West Point graduate, I'm elated to go <laughs> Army. Um, he is also, little known fact, he is also a direct descendant of Henry O. Flipper, the first Black graduate of West Point. So there's so much some symbolism in that. But I think it's a testament to his professionalism, his competency, um, his ability, and the fact that after so many years, we are finally, as Black officers, being given the chance to show everyone what we've always known that we can perform and lead at the highest levels of government. And hopefully this sets the stage um, for other barriers being broken. Women, um, our LGBTQ soldier, uh, soldiers in arms. And, and hopefully we never have this discussion again because it's always, we can't have diversity and we can't have qualified folks as if they're mutually exclusive. But no, this, this nomination shows us that we can and it's possible. Mary Tobin is vice president of the West Point Women's Alumni Association and co-founder of the West Point African American Alumni Association. That's it for this episode of Tested. Rebecca Martinez produced this show with help from Elizabeth Friend and the American Homefront Project, a military reporting project based at North Carolina Public Radio. The guests you heard today were recorded at a special event late last year called Uneven Battlefield, a discussion about discrimination in America's armed services. It's available to watch now at wunc.org tested. I'm Leonida Inge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>